This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. How is everyone today? How many of you made it to Sabbath school this morning? I know that's a kind of an invasive question, but that was one powerful Sabbath school. I mean, the testimonies, I was so moved by those testimonies, uh, especially the young lady who's here at GYC because of the outreach last year. Wasn't that so cool? Now, on our opening night, and we pitched our seminars, the point I made about this seminar is you can bring the person next year with you to GYC that you win to Christ this year. You might have thought I was making that up or joking about it. That's evidence this morning up on the platform. Every one of us, I believe the Lord Jesus is willing to use us. What about when David Ponyo got up and he shared about the lady who had the dream? Did you hear that? Yeah. Folks, the Lord is willing to go above and beyond to get people into the kingdom. And we worry far too much about how capable we are instead of trusting how capable He is. We've been talking about soul winning this week. We're looking at keys to success this afternoon. There's going to be a touch of review on some things that we've looked at, or at least the principles. But I want to share with you today things that, in my experience of, of teaching and training, maybe I should back up a little bit for anybody who's new today. My name is Pastor Mark Howard, and I pastor in the Michigan Conference. I pastor our church, our academy church there in the conference, as well as being the director of our conference's uh, evangelism training school. And I've spent many years uh, not only in training with Michigan, but I've worked with a number of the other training schools that you may be aware of, Amazing Facts and uh, Arise and Mission College of Evangelism. And I'm going to share with you some things that I've learned in my time of, of evangelism training and actually witnessing myself that I think make a key difference. In fact, let me put it this way. It's helpful to be able to get evangelism training. And I've run, we've run all kinds of programs at Emanuel Institute, but I know a lot of people who don't have as much time for training. And I'm going to actually invite uh, Alistair Huang from Audioverse up to share about that. But what I'm going to share with you today are tips that will help you if you never have any other opportunity to get training than sitting right here, things that will help you to be successful in soul winning. Alistair's going to tell you a little bit about a project we've worked on with Audioverse. You've received some uh, information this week. Some of you have. Uh, yeah, why don't you use that? We had a handheld mic, and I don't know where it went to. So uh, he's going to share about that a little bit. Just another opportunity and a great a project we're really excited about. Oh, you found it. I hope it works. Can you hear me? Not yet. Here. Hold on a minute. I think that might be turned down. Yeah. Here, you know what I'm going to do, Alistair? I'm going to make this real easy, and I'm just going to give you this one, and you just give it back when you're done. How's that? Wow. Thank you so much. So I get the rest of the, the hour? Is that what it is? Okay. So, uh, so I'm with Audioverse, and uh, we have had the privilege of working together with Pastor Mark and the Emanuel Institute. Um, How many of you know what Audioverse is? Audioverse.org. If you don't, you're missing out on a huge blessing. 
Tell them about Audioverse. I, I just made the assumption that this is GYC, so surely you must have already known about Audioverse, but I shouldn't take anything for granted. But Audioverse, we are a website where you can download thousands of free sermons, audiobooks uh, by Ellen White from the White Estate. We have the whole Bible, multiple versions available. We have six different language uh, sites available now, and it's free. And did I mention that it's free? I said that, right? That it's free? Yeah. So you can also download our mobile app on iOS and Android. And that's what Audioverse has really been known for. But this year in July, we launched Audioverse Advance. And Audioverse Advance is an online Bible training school. And it is an online platform where you can learn at your own pace uh, anywhere in the world as long as you can get online. And so we partnered with Pastor Mark and his friends at the Emanuel Institute to develop the personal evangelism course at first, but now we have a whole series of courses all related to practical training on how to be more effective in being soul winners. And so, if uh, you haven't gotten enough of Pastor Mark this week, you can listen to him every day teaching this material on Audioverse Advance. And uh, come by our booth uh, for more information. In the back, I'll be giving you one of these little gift card things. And that's actually what it is. It's a gift card. You get a discount. And if it wasn't a Sabbath, I'll give you more information about it. But come by the booth tonight, and I can give you the details. You can sign up there, and we have T-shirts and all sorts of things. Uh, and so the information, did I miss anything? We, maybe I'll give you some of the classes that we have available. Uh, we have Evangelism 101, which is an introductory course, and then Personal Evangelism, which is uh, our flagship course that takes you through the full cycle of evangelism and a lot of things I'm sure that... Uh, you're learning here. We also have a course on public evangelism, how to actually run a meeting, as well as culture of evangelism, which is a really, really practical uh, course. I think every church needs to take that, that course because it's how to revitalize your church, to infuse it with the culture of evangelism. So evangelism isn't just an event once a year, but it's a lifestyle. And how do you structure your church to practically make that a reality? Uh, and then also... We have health evangelism courses with other ministry partners as well. So come by the booth, Audioverse booth, 602, and uh, get a card on the way out. Thank you, Alistair. And we, um, in our training course, uh, we have a great team of pastors who are all involved in ministry and evangelism. You may have heard of Pastor Wes Peppers. He teaches on that course. Pastor Cameron DeVasia right down the hall teaches with us. My brother Jim Howard is, is the uh, personal ministries director for our conference, and he teaches on there. Anyway, it's uh, people who have a lot of experience and great instruction. But the bottom line is this. We really want to see the Lord come in this generation. And I think that he can, but I don't think that he has to. And I'll put it this way. We're told in the book of Peter that we can hasten the coming of the Lord. But Ellen White in her generation said that the gospel of the world could be preached in that generation. It's in the book uh, Education, and that was written, published in 1903, and we're still here. So we can sit and talk about the coming of the Lord, but unless we start getting active, we can talk about it all day long. In fact, in the words of one of our pioneers, A.T. Jones, we can preach that thing 10,000 years, and the Lord's never going to come if we don't take him seriously. Now, I don't think it's going to go quite like that because the rocks will cry out. But that's a sad thing. If the Lord has to replace us all with people that will work. Now, I'm preaching the choir. I feel like you're here because you are willing to work. And you're willing to say, Lord, here I am, send me. So we're going to talk about some keys to soul winning success this afternoon. Some of these are going to be somewhat obvious and then again not. 
And the first key that I want to look at is found in John chapter 17. So before I start, I want to pray, and then I want to have you turn to John 17 with me as we look at key number one. I'm going to kneel and ask God to bless our time if you'll bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the truth of your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Father, I just pray that you would help our hearts to be stirred enough that we would be filled with a passion for souls as our master was. Father, bless us this afternoon in this seminar to your name's glory and honor and to the finishing of this work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to John 17 and verse 3. And this is Jesus' prayer right before his crucifixion that is recorded in John 17. And I wish we could read all of it right now. In fact, we're counseled to spend t- uh, uh, to, to make this prayer our own and to live out this prayer. But John 17, verse 3, Jesus says this as he's praying to his Father. He says, this is eternal life. That they, those he's ministering to, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, it's interesting, verse 4 says, Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. What does it mean for Jesus to have glorified his Father? What, what, what are we, when we're talking about glory in the Bible, what are we often referring to? What is the Bible often referring to? It says, give glory to God. It has refer- reference to the character of God. And what Jesus is saying is, here he's praying that they may know you, and he's saying, in essence, I've glorified you, I've lived in such a way, I have preached and taught in such a way that they can see you in me. So he could tell his disciple, Philip, Philip, how long have you been with me? Don't you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now let me reiterate what I said just a moment ago. I want to touch on keys to success that if you never went to another training class, you can still win a soul to Jesus if you take these to heart. And key number one is know the Lord. And I don't mean know about the Lord. I don't mean, oh yeah, I think I've heard about the Lord before. I'm not talking about a casual acquaintance. I'm talking about you need to know the Lord. And you get to know anyone by spending real, genuine time with somebody. And if you don't spend real time with the Lord, there's no way that you're going to win a soul to Christ. Maybe I should back up a little bit on that one. Because I've read in the writings of Ellen White that the Lord wins people to him even through unconverted people because the Lord is working on everybody. But if you want genuine success in your soul winning efforts, you've got to spend time to know the Lord. And if you take time to know the Lord, you may not... Look, when I started out in, I don't even want, I want to call it ministry, when I started out sharing my faith, I mean, I was a brand new Christian. I knew nothing. And I mean, I knew worse than nothing. I don't know how many people I could have potentially offended out of the faith by saying the wrong thing and putting my foot in my mouth. But you know what? The Lord will work through you in spite of your ignorance to win people to his cause, especially if you are connected to him and you're in earnest. I want to share with you some statements here. Notice uh, this. Oh, let me pause here for a minute. This, I've been putting this up all week for those who are new today. If you go to that link, you can download this handout that I'm referring to here. I have quotes on the screen, but I also will have them in this handout. You can get all the handouts we've had all week from there. And I'm going to pass those on to Audioverse, and then they'll post them up. And so if you go to Audioverse later and listen, you can download the files from there as well. If you, 
enter that URL in. Now let me look at this first statement with you from Desire of Ages. It says, the disciples were the what? They were the channel of communication between Christ and the people. This should be a great encouragement to his disciples today. Are you his disciple today? You are a channel of communication for the Almighty God. You are a channel of communication for Jesus Christ. This should give us great encouragement that he would even entrust us with that. Have you ever thought about that? Why doesn't he just use the angels? How many of you have ever felt inadequate and you say, I don't know if I could really share my faith or witness to somebody. I just, I don't know a lot. I don't really do real good. I don't talk well. Have you ever felt that way? Is, you think God's surprised by that? You think you go out and share your faith and the Lord says, oh, what was I thinking asking them to witness for me? I should have known better. He could have asked holy angels to do the work. Why did he ask you and me? He has confidence in us that he can use us to win souls. This should give us great encouragement. Christ is the great center, the what? The source of all strength. His disciples are to receive their supplies where? From him. What if we don't go to him? What if we don't spend time with him? Well, we're not receiving the supplies, right? The most intelligent, the most spiritually minded can bestow only as they what? Bestow means to give. You can't give unless you receive. And where's the source? Christ is the source. Of themselves, they can supply how much? Nothing for the needs of the soul. They includes everybody. That includes Mark Finley. That includes Bradshaw. You could sit and listen to John Bradshaw this morning and think, wow, this guy, he just has it. I mean, he knows his stuff. Even John Bradshaw doesn't have what it takes unless he gets it from Christ. That's where the source of strength is. Of themselves, they can supply nothing for the needs of the soul. We can impart only that which we receive from Christ, and we can receive only as we what? Well, that's interesting. So we impart. Now, don't miss this. I know a lot of people who say, you know, I was doing so well in my Christian life, and now it's kind of stagnated. I'm coming to GYC to kind of jumpstart it and get back things back in gear. But you know what's happening? You're not imparting. You stop imparting, you stop receiving. As we continue what? Imparting, we continue to receive. And the more we impart, the more we shall receive. Thus, we may be constantly believing, trusting, receiving, and imparting. That receiving comes from that time you spend with the Lord. Look at this next one. The Savior knew that no what? No argument, however... Logical. Now, I'll tell you a big thing today that's popular, especially with young people, is apo Christian apologetics. You know, knowing the right answers to give to people. Look, I'm all for Christian apologetics, but there's no logical answer that's going to convince a soul unless God is working there and unless you're connected with God. The Savior knew that no argument, this is even speaking of himself, knew that no argument, however logical, would melt hard hearts or break through the crust of worldliness and selfishness. He knew that his disciples must receive the heavenly endowment, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and that the gospel would be effective only as it was proclaimed by hearts made warm and lips made eloquent by a what? A living knowledge of him who is the way, the truth, and the life. You have to have a living knowledge, and that living knowledge of Him only comes from spending time with Him. Now, I mentioned earlier this week we talked about devotional time, and a lot of times we talk about devotional time. Devotional time is, 
is equated to reading time or even reading and praying time. But just because you read, just because you, you read the Bible doesn't mean you're devoting time to God. And I gave the example that if I were to uh, have gone to the same table as one of these ladies here today for lunch, for example, and we ate lunch together, that doesn't mean we're dating. Right? Just because you're, you're spending time somewhere doesn't mean you're devoted to somebody. And even spending time in the Scripture doesn't necessarily mean you're devoted to God. Sometimes we just say, okay, today I've got this reading, I'm supposed to go through this chapter. Instead of saying, Lord, show me, reveal yourself to me today. Help me to understand your will and give me courage to do it. When you read and spend that time in devotional time, do you go away from it with an intention to allow it to impact your life and to put into practice the things you learn? To walk with Jesus. Do you spend time in prayer with him, not just pray for the missionaries and coal porters, pray for the GYAC outreach, but pouring your heart out to him and saying, Lord, give me fresh supplies of strength. Help me to reflect your image. Change my heart and give me a desire for things that are good and help me to hate the things that are evil. And being specific with him about things you're struggling with. Really devoting time to the Lord, talking to him as you would to a friend. Without this, your witness is going to be ineffective. And that should go without saying, but too often it's not. Notice this statement here. Through much what? Through much prayer, you must labor for souls, for this is the only method by which you can what? Reach hearts. It is not your work, but the work of Christ who is by your side that impresses hearts. And so that key number one is knowing the Lord. Key number two is believing the message. And this is a little a little review of something we talked about earlier this week. One of the things I have encountered a lot in training, I, you know, when, I, when you do evangelistic training in, among Seventh-day Adventists, you find a whole lot of people who don't give a lot of Bible studies and they really don't get... And when you talk to them about why, it isn't really that they don't know how or can't figure out how. I mean, look, let's be honest. Here's a lesson. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. That's not difficult. You can't tell me a kid who's taking college algebra or some other college course can't figure out how to ask a question and answer. That's not the reason. The reason that comes to me repeatedly is, I'm not sure I know the doctrine well enough. What if they ask me a question I don't know how to answer? I'm afraid I'll mess it up. That's what I get a lot of. In fact, we just did a training. I'll keep the pastor's name. You would know him. I, and I, 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 so I'll keep his name silent. But I was training in his church. We were doing an Emanuel Institute training, and one of the things we always do is a class called Bible Docs, where we go over our Bible doctrines and look at why we believe what we believe from the Bible, the Seventh-day Adventists. And I don't even know why, well, I didn't listen to it, but he, one of the things he said to me is, he said, look, when you're coming to my church, um, don't worry about doing the Bible doctrines. Let's just do a lot of practical hands-on how we give the Bible study. They already know the doctrines. And my experience was telling me, you know, I've been through this before. They don't. They know, but they don't. We can know without knowing. And I'll, and I'll explain what I mean in a moment. So we managed to fill the schedule in and still say, okay, we're going to put some Bible doctrines in. You know, the favorite class in that whole session, with all the how-to on evangelism and all the practical and everything else, the member said, we love those Bible docs. Now we feel comf confident in the truths that we proclaim and profess as a, as a people. Okay, you can know about the state of the dead without knowing how to ever teach it to somebody. And it's a world of difference. 
And the reality is you don't have to come to a Bible Docs class. But what I don't understand is how many Seventh-day Adventists are uncertain and unsettled about certain truths that we profess, and yet they never spend any time studying them. What books are you reading? Well, I've got this and that. I've got this great novel. I'm looking into this. Do you ever read through the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy? You've got to read. Well, no, I don't really have a lot of time for that. Are you kidding me? And then you're going to say, I don't understand the doctrines? Of course not. You've got to, if you're going to share the truth, you've got to own the truth. It's got to be yours. You've got to know it and believe it for yourself. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't always been in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And when I was baptized Seventh-day Adventist, there was one thing I determined. I, let me back up a little bit. I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, but I was never committed. My family ended up leaving the church. And I watched some of the hypocrisy in my home. And it wasn't all intentional. Hypocrisy isn't usually intentional. But I remember when I committed to the church, I, and I committed to the faith, I said, I, there was one thing I don't want to do. I don't want to play church. I don't want to be some cultural Adventist that goes along with this thing, because we all do this. We all eat haystacks and take Sabbath naps and do all this other. I want to know what I believe. And if I can't be convinced of it myself, I don't want it. And I can't understand for the life of me how Seventh-day Adventists could be in the church and not own the truth. Not, you know... You know what I mean by owning it? I mean, it's yours. You've, you've spent the time. You don't understand it. You study it until you do understand it. Until you feel confident in it. If you are not confident in the truth we possess as a people, how are you going to convince somebody else of something you're not convinced of? It's impossible. You've got to know the message for yourself. You have to have confidence. You have to be passionate about it. We talked about this the other day. You evangelism is born out of something you're passionate about. It's hard to really convince somebody that something is worth knowing if you are kind of laissez-faire about it. You want to be passionate about it too. And in order to do that, you've got to know it. And I'm not talking about just being passionate about Jesus. I mean, in this, in this general, ethereal way. We just, oh, I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about the gospel. What does that mean? I want you to be passionate about the 2300 days. Okay? I mean, we're talking, that's about Jesus, but it's the practical truth. It's the truth for this time. If you're not excited about that, if you're not passionate, if you don't know it, you're not going to be able to share that effectively. So I want to encourage you, if you have things, we mentioned audioverse. I listen to audioverse. Pastors, all my pastor friends listen to audioverse. It's not like I'm a pastor now, I know everything. The more I, real, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. So I listen to other pastors, I listen to sermons, and I feed, and I've got to grow in my understanding. I want to know the truth better for myself. Audioverse, it's free. There are, do you know, else do you have a catalog of how many, do you don't have any idea how many sermons you've got on Audioverse? 14,000. I mean, look, if it, if it was me, and I didn't know, and I, was in, I wasn't confident, you get on there and just search the topic you're looking for, and you can find any number of sermons on those topics and get strong in them. Spend that time in the Word getting to know the Lord. And, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. Notice this statement here. I saw that the mere argument of the truth will not move souls to take a stand with the remnant, for the truth is what? What is it? It's unpopular. You know how I know that? Because even Seventh-day Adventists balk at certain parts of the truth. I had somebody arguing with me the other day about whether we should be drinking caffeine or not. I'm not going to go into that right now. The fact of the matter is, we say, oh, I'm okay with some. 
The truth is unpopular. You know why it's unpopular? Because we love sin. And it's time in this earth's history to decide whether we're going to love sin or love Jesus. The mere argument of the truth is not going to do it. The servants of God must have the truth where? In the soul, said the angel. They must get it warm from glory. That is, we get it from God. Carry it in their bosoms and pour it out in the warmth and earnestness of the soul to those that hear. It's got to be burning in our heart. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? He said, I, was gonna, I wasn't going to speak anymore of thy word, he said. I was just tired of it because every time I did it got me into trouble. And then your word became unto me a burning fire and I couldn't hold it in. Is that what the truth is to you? If that's what the truth is to you, you'll win souls even if you're not quite sure how to do it. It's going to just pour out. A few that are conscientious are ready to decide from the weight of evidence. There are a few people that will make decisions even if somebody doesn't have that passion in their heart when they're sharing it with them. A few that are conscientious are ready to decide from the weight of evidence, but it is impossible to move many with a mere theory. There must be a power to attend the truth, a living testimony to move them. It's got to be a living testimony in your life. Look at this one. In 1888, Ellen White penned these words. Every soul in every conference in every part of the Lord's vineyard. Who's that? Who's left out there? Everybody, every soul in every conference in every part of the Lord's vineyard has the privilege of what? Knowing the truth. But truth is not truth to those who don't practice it. Truth is only truth to you when you live it in the daily life, showing the world what those people must be who are at last saved. Are you an example of God's person at the end of time? The kind of person that's living a Christ-like life. People have to see that. That's where the power is. Who's going to believe a truth? You know how many theories there are in this world today? Everybody has a theory. Oh, great, you're going to give me another theory. You know what I want to see? I want to see action. I want to see a theory that changes your life. And when the truth is a, is a living power in your life, people will see that. Reason number two, believe the message. And I mentioned, if you don't understand the message... Spend some time. Commit yourself. I'm, I shared a resource the other day. We have it in the booth at the Emanuel Institute table. If, if I had some of you pick some up the other day called the Discipleship Handbook. And if it, it goes over, I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's a resource that will help you to understand and have confidence in your Adventist faith that you have not to this day had. I can't say enough good about it. But if nothing else, in the back of the book, there's a Bible and Spirit of Prophecy reading plan that if you just commit yourself to that reading plan, you will come to know the Lord better. And you will be on fire for the Lord. And so I want to encourage you that. There are other resources that, that you can look into, but you want to know and believe the message for yourself. The third tip is that you want to be genuine, you want to be earnest, and you want to be loving. Now, what do I mean by that? Several things there. We talked about this a little the other day as well. I, a lot of times when people give Bible studies, they're worried about, uh, uh, you know, knowing everything. And I've had people, you know, I won't, I, what if they ask me a question I don't answer? Then tell them you don't know. Tell them you don't know the answer. There's nothing wrong with that. Be genuine with people. Don't pretend you're something you're not. People respect that. Let them know you're in earnest for their souls. You believe 
that knowing Jesus Christ is essential for them, that eternal life is possible for them, that Jesus is coming soon and you want them to be ready. Let them see that. You love their souls. They'll sense that. I want you to look at uh, 2 Corinthians with me. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. In fact, let's start in verse 10. A theme here at GYC this year is the judgment. It has to do with the judgment. Paul is commenting on it right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before what? The judgment seat of Christ. I don't care what a person's profession. You're all going to be there. We're all going to be there before the judgment seat of Christ one day. And doing what? To receive the things, what? Done in the body. There's accountability there. To receive the things done in the body, whether according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There, now notice verse 11. Knowing therefore, for this reason, the what? The terror of the Lord. We what? We persuade men. Knowing that there is going to be a judgment and knowing that a person who's outside of Christ is going to be eternally lost ought to motivate us. If we have friends or loved ones or even people we've never met and we know that unless they know Christ, they'll be lost, that ought to motivate us. It motivated our master. What motivated our master ought to motivate us. And that's what he says if you go on a little bit further in verse 14. Notice this. He says, for the what? What does it say in verse 14? The love what? The love of Christ. Notice what it does not say. Our love for Christ. Should our love for Christ motivate us? Sure it should, but that's not what the apostle says here. He says the love of Christ. The love of Christ for whom? For us as, who is us? Is it just you? Is it just us here in this seminar? Is it only those of us here in GYC or in the Seventh-day Adventist Church? It is for every soul that Jesus died for, which is everybody. The Apostle Paul says there's a judgment knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the love of Christ for lost souls, that ought to motivate us. That ought to compel us. That ought to make us in earnest about spiritual things. If we really love souls, we will not be able not to witness to them. I don't know if you found yourself in that situation. I have many times. Listen, folks. You, you, I think you, I, I, I don't know about you personally, but I know there are a lot of church members who think that people get up and speak at stuff like this, and pastors like myself, Christianity must come easy to us. Witnessing is natural. We just naturally do it. Everything is comfortable and what have you. That's not true. And there are countless times I've been in situations where I felt uncomfortable or wanted to keep to myself. I tend to be, believe it or not, kind of introverted when I'm not in a setting like this. And I, here's a person, the Lord taps me on the shoulder to witness to somebody, and I've been like, oh, no, Lord. Just like you may have done at some point. But then the Lord affects my heart and my mind with the love Jesus has for that soul. With the fact that if they don't come to know Jesus, I mean, here I am privileged to know Jesus. And here this person is next to me who may not, and I'm not going to share it. Knowing the terror of the Lord, the apostle says. The love of Christ constrains us, the apostle says. We ought to be in earnest with people. And as we witness to people, as we share, as we're motivated by that, 
The love of Christ compels us to reach out to souls. If you're genuine with people, if you're loving with people, if you're in earnest with people, it's not going to matter so much about what you don't know. People will see Christ in you. The next key to success or more success in your soul winning efforts is be intentional and direct. And this is one of the most difficult things that people can do. And I mentioned it already about myself. I don't always feel so comfortable being direct with people. What I mean by being direct is sometimes you know what, what to say and you're just afraid to say it because you know if you do say it, it's going to upset somebody. Now, there are times when you're going to say something and the Holy Spirit says don't say it because you'll upset somebody because it would just be rude. But I'm not talking about rudeness. I'm talking about things that the Lord puts on your heart. You know you need to be faithful and, and, and share something with somebody and you're afraid to rock the boat. I want you to know that a person doesn't win souls who isn't intentional about winning souls. Now, the Lord in his mercy may affect somebody in your circle of influence, but if you want to be a soul winner, you, it's not a random thing. It's not like Jesus just accidentally won souls. It wasn't coincidence that he won a soul. It wasn't something he thought about after the fact. It wasn't a lucky break for Jesus to win a soul. When he got up in the morning, he was intentional about what he was going to do. He was intentional about reaching people. There were people who came to Jesus, but don't think that's just how it was. Jesus was just Jesus, and everybody came to him. He went to them. In the book Education, it tells us this. Success in any line demands what? A definite aim. I'm going to tell you something. Try this for me. Just try this, what I'm about to tell you. When you get up every morning, just say, Lord... Lead me to somebody today that I can share you with. Just praying that, and I mean, I'm not telling you, here's, here's, a, here's a shortened version and make this an elaborate 20-minute. Just, just exactly what I just said. If you just pray those words and mean it, I'm going to tell you the first thing that's going to happen, you're going to start looking at people you run into all day long differently because you have a different intentionality already. You woke up with a different purpose. Now you're going to be looking around saying, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? It's just the effect it's going to have. Besides the fact the Spirit of God, you've just opened the way for the Spirit of God to do something through you. You've got to be intentional. And I'm speaking as much for myself as I am for you. If I'm not intentional that way, I'll go through life, and I don't know how many people I may pass by that I could have been a saver of life unto life, but I got too busy in myself and my own thing and passed people by because my spiritual antennas weren't up. If you're intentional and start the day and being intentional with the Lord like that, you're going to see a difference in your ability to reach people. Success in any line demands a definite aim, so especially in soul winning lines. You've got to have a definite aim. I want to win a soul to Christ. Notice this statement here. Jesus saw in who? Every soul, one to whom must be given the call to his kingdom. Do you see in every soul somebody who's a candidate for the kingdom of heaven? Your master did. He reached the hearts, notice, he reached the hearts of the people by going among them as one who desired their good. As I said, sometimes we just think that people just all came and flocked to Jesus. Well, they did. But Jesus didn't just sit around and wait for people to come to him. He went to them. 
He was going among them as one who desired their good. And not just their earthly good, their eternal good. Notice, he, what's the word there? What does it mean? He sought them out. He sought them. What does that mean? He went what? Looking for them. He sought them in the public streets, in private houses, on the boats, in the synagogue, by the shores of the lake, and at the marriage feast. He met them at their daily vocations and manifested an interest in their secular affairs. He went out of his way to try to find people to witness to. He met with them in their secular affairs. That almost sounds evil, right? Jesus, wow, he was in their secular lives. Now I'll tell you, there are Christians today, and I'm you know, heard in innovative ways of evangelism, we're going to get out and I'm afraid there's a lot of times today and a lot of places today, even in our church, where our methodology of witnessing is nothing but secular affairs. We do socials and we get together and we fellowship with people and pick, have a pickup basketball game and this, that, and the other. That's all good. I'm not against that. The Lord isn't against that. But sometimes that's as far as we ever get. Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't just go and hang out with them. Say, oh, he ate with publicans and sinners. People will quote the scripture. You ever hear him do that? But Jesus ate with publicans and sinners. I think we just go hang out with him. What did he do when he ate with publicans and sinners? Did he just talk about commonplace stuff? When invited to eat with publicans and sinners, he did not refuse. For in no other way than by mingling with them could he reach this class. Reach them with what? But on every occasion, how many? He opened up themes of conversation which brought things of eternal interest to their minds. So Jesus sought people out. He was intentional. He was intentional about reaching people where they were and leading them to see heavenly things. Folks, the people of the world don't understand heavenly things. You read in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, it talks about when God called Abraham. It's a powerful chapter. I wish I could, I want to break into a sermon on that. There's a powerful lesson in there. One of the first things God did with Abraham, at 75 years old, by the way, was take him away from his family. And she says in that chapter that for some people there's no other way that they can be reached. Sometimes the home influence pulls us down, pulls us down. So she took, takes Abraham and pulls him away from his friends and his family. And she says in that book, Patriarchs and Prophets, that he could not explain his course of action so as to be understood by his friends because they were not spiritual. Right? Spiritual things are spiritually understood. Unspiritual people don't think in spiritual terms. When it comes to evangelism today, I've got all kinds of church growth experts that want to talk about how, well, see, the world is secular. You can't reach them with spiritual things. Folks, the world is secular because they don't know anything else. They don't think spiritually until somebody interjects the thoughts. So Jesus met with them on the secular level, and what did he do? He brought things of eternal interest to their minds. So listen, the church growth experts can say all they want to today, but I'm going to tell you, Jesus' method is the one I'm going to follow, and I hope it's the one you're going to follow. He told us how it's done. Show that interest in them. Be earnest. Be genuine. Be loving. Be intentional. Be direct. Now, being direct with people means, and listen, I mean, how do I say this without, I don't want to call anybody out. 
But who here has ever had to speak directly to your friend about some direction that they were going in their life that was not a good direction and you did not want to do it, but you were so concerned for where they were heading that you had to speak out? I see a few hands in here. It's not easy, is it? So why'd you do it? Why not just let it go? When you love their souls, you can't let it go. I'm just wanting you to understand, when it talks about being direct with people, it's not talking about being rude, it's not talking about being preachy, but it's talking about sometimes when you see where a person's heading, being, not being afraid to talk to them about spiritual things. You want to talk in a gentle way, in a loving way, but you just don't skirt the issue like it isn't there. Because I'm going to tell you, if we do that, one day the blood of their souls is going to be on our garments. When Jesus met with the woman at the well, it's interesting, Ellen White's comment on it, you know, he asked her for a drink. Is that what he wanted? Was he thirsty? Yeah, he was thirsty. Is that his main purpose? Look what it says in Desire of Ages. The Savior was what? Seeking to find the key to this heart. And with attack born of divine love, he asked, not offered, a favor. He was trying to seek the way to her heart. The simple point is this. Jesus was intentional about winning souls. In every relationship he had, he had secular relationships. In those relationships, they weren't merely secular. They were for the purpose of leading people to the kingdom. And so with any follower of Jesus, you want to be intentional and direct. Notice this statement from Review and Herald. It says, the secret of our success, I shared this the other day, the secret of our success and power as a people advocating advanced truth will be found in making direct, what? Personal appeals to those who are interested, uh, uh, having unwavering reliance upon the Most High. You've got to make those direct personal appeals. As we're talking, you see somebody going a wrong way, don't be afraid to be spiritual with people. Don't have to be preachy, but you want to be spiritual with them. You want to be earnest with them. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. The next key to success, and this one is very important, I've touched on a little bit earlier this week, that is learn how to work with what we in evangelism sometimes call ripe interests. What I mean by that is this. There are times in people's lives, let me just ask it this way, how many of you here today remember a time when you were totally disinterested in anything spiritual? How many of you sitting here today could say, man, so many years ago, if you would have told me I would have been sitting in a place like this, I would have, been, I would have laughed at you out loud. There are, you're not alone in that. As you go around and mingle with people, just because they're not interested today doesn't mean they won't be interested tomorrow. So the Spirit of God is always working on people's hearts. But here's the thing. If a person is not open to the working of the Holy Spirit, you're near to beating your head against the wall trying to get anywhere there. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's imagine you go into an orange grove to pick an orange. And as you get among the orange trees, you see a tree, and there's this nice big orange. I mean, you'd love to eat it, only it's green. It's not orange. It's not ripe yet. But it looks so appealing to you, you're just so sure that that's going to be such a great orange, you're going to camp out and wait on it. Meanwhile, through the rest of the orange grove, there are all these beautiful big orange oranges, but you're not picking the orange oranges because you're focused on the green orange. Now let me ask you a question. What's going to happen to the orange oranges if nobody picks them? 
They're going to spoil. They're going to fall off. They're going to rot on the ground. Now, you can hang out and wait for that green orange to ripen, but at the risk of losing the other oranges. But what's it going to hurt if, let's say, I look at the green orange, I say, well, it's not ripe yet. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over here and I'm going to pick some of these orange oranges. I'm going to come back and check on my green orange. Oh, it's a little bit more orange now, but not totally ripe yet. And I'm going to go pick some more oranges. Sooner or later, I'm going to come back and what's going to happen to my green orange? It's going to be orange and it's going to be ripe and I can pick it, but I also got some other oranges. Now, where am I going with this? I know a lot of people who have in mind somebody they want to reach. It could be a friend, it could be a brother, sister, mom and dad, could be, I don't know who, boyfriend, girlfriend, I'm going to reach them with the truth. And so we focus on that one person. Or sometimes when I say focus, maybe we even try to get into Bible studies. Maybe they even say yes, because I know people that will say yes to Bible studies, especially in relationship settings. So I have to be careful not to get in a whole tirade on that right now. You shouldn't be dating somebody who's not equally yoked with you. The devil will pull you down faster than anything with that one. When I do an evangelistic series, I can't tell you how many times I've preached a series, I have a young person come, and in the course of our, me getting to know them, one of the things they tell me about is how they're single, and they've been single for a long time now and can't seem to find anybody. And then in the course of the meeting, something happens, and they decide they want to give their heart to the Lord. You know what they find real quick? A boyfriend or girlfriend who isn't a believer. I can't tell you how many times that happens. So I know, and then it's like, oh, hey, I know this person, and hey, they're going to study with me. I've known people who've gotten baptized because of somebody they're dating, but the person wasn't interested in the truth at all. They just got baptized so they could date the Adventists. So I'm just saying, sometimes we focus on one individual, whoever it may be, and while we're doing that, we can even get in Bible studies with them, and I'm going to tell you, a Bible study with somebody who's not interested is one of the most painful things you ever be in. Not, let me rephrase that. Not just painful, discouraging. And I know more Seventh-day Adventists say, I don't give Bible studies anymore. Why? Because I tried that and it doesn't work. You know why? Because you were laboring for green fruit. You've got to learn to know the difference when a person is not interested in spiritual things. When you're sharing truths with them and they're not making any application, they're not making any changes in their life, they won't come to church, they won't do anything else, they're green. So what do you do in a situation like that? Don't abandon them. I'm not telling you to ignore, ignore them, but just like that green orange on the tree. Go and find the people who are ripe. Because our master told us this, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. What is the harvest about? When do you harvest something? Something when it's ripe. So what did Jesus say? There are ripe people out there. So if the one you're working with isn't ripe, your master said there are people who are ripe. Go find them. Pick that fruit. Come back and check on the others. Pray for them. But don't spend all your time. If you spend all your time laboring with somebody who's not interested, it's going to totally discourage you out of soul winning. I've seen it happen time and again. You want to labor, it, it, it's, there's no harm. And sometimes people say, well, I feel guilty if I'm studying with somebody. Look, if I'm studying with somebody and they're not making decisions, I'll just tell them outright. I'll say, you know, it seems like we have some, some differences of viewpoint right now. And maybe you need to look at things a little bit more. So let me leave this material with you. And I will. And I'll just, I'll, instead of visiting them every week for a Bible study, I'll say, you know, I'll stop back by in a month and I'll see how things are going. And I'm going to tell you, if a person's green, you haven't lost any ground in a month or two. I've known people six months, I haven't seen them, come back, it's just like yesterday. Because when a person's not in that valley of decision, it's, they're not going to get angry with you right away. It just, I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. But if you try to labor with the green fruit, you're going to lose the interests that are really interested and discourage yourself out of working for souls.
So when you see that a person's uninterested, focus your attention where somebody is interested. Pray for that other person, leave them with the Lord, come back and check on them. Lord will open up things in a person's life to create an interest. But if they're not interested now, you want to focus your attention on the ripe ones. You know, Ellen White talks about those who are longingly looking for heaven, waiting only to be gathered in. You ever heard that before? Acts of the Apostles, page 109. Waiting only to be gathered in. She's using harvest language. There are people ready to be harvested. So focus on those who are ready to be harvested. That will make a huge difference in your soul winning success. Notice this statement. Did I get? No. To all who are working, notice this. To all who are working with Christ, I would say wherever you can gain access to the people by the fireside and prove your what? Now the fireside in her day was a social setting. It wasn't just knocking on the door. It's being in the home, being able to be personal with somebody. Notice what it goes on to say. Take your Bible and open before them its great truths and look at this next sentence. Your success will not depend so much upon your knowledge and what are accomplishments. That's all my soul winning experience. Your success isn't dependent on that. What's it dependent on? As your ability to find your way to the heart. So working with ripe interest was our last clue or our last key. This key is apply truth to the heart when you're studying with somebody. We touched on this a little bit the other day too. I told you some of this was review. This simply means when you're doing a series of studies with somebody, uh, every study, every printed lesson just about has, a, has an appeal question at the end. That's something like, you know, do you want to accept, do you believe that, you know, what the Bible teaches about the dead? Do you want to accept, da, da, da. And it's just kind of a yes or no. Mm. And the, the problem with that is people can assent. They can yes or no to something without ever applying it to their life. When you are teaching, when you are leading somebody and studying with somebody, you don't just want to study with them. You want to ask them, so, instead of saying, do you understand this? Does this make sense? That's all up here. You want to ask something like, so have you begun to practice this? Let's say we're talking about tithe. They could say, do you understand now what the Bible teaches about returning a faithful tithe to God, 10% of everyone? Oh, yeah, I understand that. In fact, I got this from my brother Jim. He's a pastor also in Michigan, our personal ministries leader. I mentioned that. And he, he, he talks about doing this with me. I've had the same experience where you've, you've, talked with, you've studied with a new interest, and oh, yeah, I understand it. And then six months later, you find out they've never returned any tithe. Well, I thought they understood it. Oh, I did understand it. <laughs> people will say, oh, I understood it, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do it. That's just, that's how people tend to be. As we all tend to be that way when there's something that we aren't necessarily committed about. When you're studying with somebody, you want to appeal to their heart that they begin to practice what they're learning. So instead of saying, do you understand this? You want to say, have you begun to practice this in your life? Uh, you'll find out a lot more. They may say no, and then you might have to discuss it with them a little bit more, but the end goal is that they're not just getting the information here. By the time it's all said and done, they're living out the faith. You had your question? Yes. Okay, good question. Good question that I'm not going to have the time to answer really fully, but I'll answer it shortly. She said, how much of that is the job of the Holy Spirit? 
I shared a statement, I don't have it up here today, where Ellen White talks about how it's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict and convert hearts for those who are here. And then she goes on to say this, if words are not spoken at the right moment, well, that's not the Holy Spirit. And in the context of the statement, the point that we made the other day that she makes is this, the Holy Spirit, it is his work, but he chooses to use us. Now, that's not all about us. How much should you pray? I pray before and after, pray all the time. It's, it's in, I think you came in a little bit late. The very first thing we brought up was that connection with God. That's essential. But don't, you know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, oh, I don't know why I always do this. I want to say Joshua 5. It's Joshua 5 or Joshua 9. I think it's Joshua 5. When they came out and they, 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 uh, they took Jericho and then they were going to go on Ai, right? Well, Achan went in and stole the, the, gar- the Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold and buried it under his tent, which Joshua didn't know at the time. All he knew is they conquered the mighty city of Jericho, then they went to the little town of Ai and got wiped out. And so Joshua, you remember what Joshua did? He fell on his face before the Lord and he began pleading with the Lord. He was praying. He said, Lord, what's going on here? Does anybody remember this story? You remember what the Lord did? And I'm paraphrasing. He got in and he said, Joshua, get up off your face. Prayer meeting's over. You've got work to do. And sometimes, don't misunderstand me here. We always should be praying. The power comes from the Lord. But sometimes we use prayer as an excuse not to do what God's calling us to do because it's more easy for me to get on my knees and pray than have to be direct with somebody. Now, I, I, and I know that's not what you're talking about. We've got to be careful. We've got to be in earnest prayer also so we have the right tone with people. But the Lord uses us to make appeals to people. When you're studying, the Lord has opened up the opportunity for you to be in a situation to be studying with somebody. And part of being a a person who's giving Bible studies is to gently lead them. And part of that leading them as you're sharing the practical, have you begun to practice this, is being able to share how you applied it to your life. Then it gives them a real tangible, personal, oh, you, you went through the same thing too. Yes, and this is how the Lord helped me through it. That's one of the powerful aspects of Bible study is it's making the Bible tangible and real to people. Now, I have to uh, hold the questions here because I want to see if I can touch on... Yeah. No, no, that's okay. I'm glad you asked it. Um, we just, I'm just looking at my time here. I've got like three minutes. Uh, I talked about applying truth to the heart and that statement um, we looked at already. The last one I want to touch on here is don't consult your feelings, okay? Don't consult your feelings. Look at me real quickly with, uh, uh, with me to uh, the book Ecclesiastes. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. Wow, this is a great, great passage. After Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 11. And look what it says in verse 4. Oops, I'm in Song of Solomon. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4, it says, He who observes the what? The wind will not sow. Now, sowing is planting seeds. Well, why am I going to go out and plant seeds? If it's blowing real windy out, who knows the seeds are going to go everywhere. He who regards the wind will not, uh, uh, I'm sorry, he who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not, what? Will not reap. And then the Lord says, as you do not know what is the way of the wind or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. 
And in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know what will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What the Lord is saying here is, we are a poor judge of, this, of circumstances. We may look at a person and say, this person is never going to decide for the truth. How do I know that? We may look at a situation and say, if I say this, this person is going to get angry. How do I know that? And we observe. We observe the wind and we regard the clouds and we look at circumstances and then our own finite judgment decide that we better not do it right now. Better not make that appeal right now. Better not give that study. Better not ask that person. The Bible, when it talks about Abraham, the father of the faithful, it's a powerful story in Romans chapter 4. It said that when God came to Abraham... When he was 100 years old, it said Abraham did not consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, he did not consider his circumstances. He did not look at himself and his own weaknesses. He trusted in God's promise. Okay? When it comes to reaching souls, it's the Lord's work. He's already promised to use you. Do not consult your own feelings. You consult your own feelings, you start walking by sight and not by faith, and you'll never witness for the Lord. You go forward, and in the morning sow the seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, and the Lord is going to give you a harvest. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. He promises that. There was one more that I wanted to share. And that last one is this. Do not be afraid to try. We're too often, we're afraid to try. Look, the only thing you can gain from trying is learning how to do it. What's the old saying say? Thomas Edison, people say Thomas Edison failed to make a light bulb 2,000 times. No, Thomas Edison learned 2,000 times how not to make a light bulb. You hear the difference? He didn't fail. He learned how not to make a light bulb. I, I, there's a guy who came to one of our classes. He was an instructor in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He said, you know, I, one thing I learned in my jiu-jitsu class, and now as an instructor I teach my students, is there's no such thing as losing. There's either winning or learning. Amen. Don't be afraid to try. There's a study done by the Berlin Academy of Music on violinists. Has anybody heard about this study? They studied violinists to see who made a great violinist. And there are some people who played in violin orchestras. Some people weren't as good. They didn't end up being able to play in the orchestra, but they knew the theory enough to teach it, so they were violin teachers. But then there were the violin players. But then there were the violin stars. These are the people that drew the big crowds and everything else. So they did the research to try to find out if there's some correlation. You know what they found? They found a correlation in the practice hours of the violinists. Those who were teachers had usually spent somewhere around 4,000 hours of their life in practice. Those who were uh, concert performists, 6,000, no, 8,000 hours. But those who were stars, 10,000 hours. And here's the interesting thing. No one who had devoted 10,000 hours in practice, wasn't a star. And the conclusion they made is, practice makes perfect. The more you practice at something, the better you get. So if you feel like you do, don't give Bible studies well, get some people from church together and practice. Practice. The more you practice anything, the better you'll get at it. Don't be afraid to try. The Lord will use you. I want to finish with some statements here where the Lord promises us success. Okay, you can't fail at this. Notice this statement, Christian Service, page 101. It says, if you fail 99 times in 100, but succeed in saving the one soul from ruin, you have done a noble deed in the master's cause. And this is, you'll see in a moment, that she's just saying this, uh, failing not in God's eyes, but in our eyes, where we feel like we failed and get, didn't get anywhere. 
we don't see the results. Folks, there's going to be things in the kingdom that we're going to see results and we're going to see people that we reached. We had no idea we reached. But if we think we failed 99 times and only won one soul, we've done a noble deed for the master's cause. Look at this one. Christ Object Lessons 363. When we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work follow what? His directions. He makes himself responsible for its accomplishment. He makes himself responsible. He would not have us conjecture as to the what? Success of our honest endeavors. I wonder if that was worth it or not. Not what? Not once should we even think of failure. We are to cooperate with one who knows no failure. Amen. Just get out there and do it. Look at this last one. This is the last one I'm going to share with you here. Time is precious. The destiny of souls is in the balance. God is holding back his judgments, waiting for the message to be sounded to all. Folks, we are in the very last moments of this earth's history. We are in the very last moments. The judgments of God are about to fall. The angels are holding them back so we can get the message out to people and they can be ready for Jesus to come. There are many who have not yet heard the testing message of truth for this time. The last call of mercy is to be proclaimed throughout the earth. Heavenly angels have long been waiting for who? who who's that? Me. Amen. Me. That's you, each one of you. Heavenly angels are waiting for you. Why? To cooperate with them in the great work to be done. You're not in it by yourself. They are waiting for you. So vast is the field, so comprehensive the design, that every sanctified heart will be pressed into service as an agent of divine power. How strong is divine power? Tell me how strong divine power is. Is there a limit to divine power? God wants to press you into service as an agent of divine power. The only question is who's going to go for him? Right? We've heard it all day. We've heard it in Sabbath school. We heard it in church. Who's going to say, I'm going to leave this conference and I'm not going to go back to things the way they were? Lord, here I am. Send me. Use me. I want to be an agent of divine power. How many of you will commit yourself to that? By raising your hand with me now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. Father, as we meditate upon reaching the lost. Lord, this is not an option for us. This is our master's work. If we are followers of Jesus, disciples of him walking in his footsteps, we must do what he's done before us. More than that, he's commissioned us with this work. Not just for the good of others, for our own good. Father, you've been working on our hearts through this whole conference. Lord, those sitting here in this room today, each one of them, whether they realize it or not, is not here by accident. Your spirit has brought every one of us here because you want to press us into service as instruments of divine power. Father, I thank you for those who have raised their hands and said, here I am, use me, Lord. But there are those here this afternoon, Lord, who haven't raised their hands. You know what's going on in their hearts. You know the enemy is struggling over gaining the mastery upon them. I pray for each one of us that we would not leave this conference on the enemy's side, but that we would be fully committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. 
It's in His name we pray these things. Amen. God bless you for the rest of this conference. And the Lord wants to use you in a big way. I hope you come back next year to GYC with the soul that the Lord has helped you win in His name. Amen? This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.